months. Some of y'all still checking me out, saying, Who did, where did this guy come from? What buses they let him off out? What's, yeah. I'm just trying to help you. Is that all right? I might not look like you. I might not act like you. I come from the deep, deep south, South Miami. I mean, all the way down there. Come up here. That's a mission field in itself. They've got bumper stickers with the last American bring the flag when you leave Miami. So, but, 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 but let, just, just bear with me. Get past the first five, ten minutes of looking and checking me out. And we don't dress that way. How come he has his hair slick and all that kind of stuff. And let's just focus on what Jesus wants to say this morning, okay? Okay, again, this is my Bible. Now, if not your Bible and you stole it from the Gideon side of the hotel there, then, then say, you know, this is best Western Bible or something else. Don't lie coming to church. I can do what it says I can do. I believe I will be taught the incorruptible, eternal seed of the living God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to be changed. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I choose today to put the Word of God above my problems, above my challenges. I'm not in bondage to my feelings. I'm not captive to my emotions. I choose to walk by faith, not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, I believe we are living in some of the most exciting times ever to live. Now, most of the time here in the United States, you turn on the evening news after a hard day at work, and the guy says, good evening, and that's the last good thing he says. Then he talks about the bombings and the killings and the rapes and everything else, ISIS and, uh, you know, all this stuff going on, and, and you say, the guy at the end says, and, and have a good night. You say, right. You go buy yourself another lock for your door. But I tell you what, God is doing things in the earth today that the evening news is not talking about. Do you know right now in just Latin America alone, 35,000 people every day are turning to Christ? Wow. Every day, 35,000 people. Do you know that there are nations in Africa with so many people that are turning to Christ that if it continues, they say within the next few decades, the entire nation will be saved. The largest churches in the world are not in the United States. I can take you to El Salvador, one church, 150,000. Take you to Colombia, a church, about 400,000. Then you got this little church in Seoul, Korea, almost a million. And the largest church in the world right now is in Nigeria, over one million people. That's what revival is. But you see, Dan Rather's not going to get on the evening news, you know, and talk about it. O'Reilly's not going to talk about it, about the revival of God's bringing around in the nations of the world. Right now, according to the Chinese government, 25,000 Chinese every day are turning to Christ. And we know there's many more they don't even know about of what's happening there in that country. They are cutting out, out, of, out of the glaciers, cutting holes in the frozen lakes to baptize people. It is a sovereign move of God. See, we don't know what real revival is in this country because most of us have not grown up with it. Maybe if you're a part of the older generation, you tasted a little bit of the Jesus movement back in the early 70s that swept through America for about five, six, some places, seven years. But we think revival is a neon sign out on Country Road 14. Come see Bud E. Skinner Jones, revival service, January 4th through the 8th. And we think that's a revival. People say, can you come to our church and hold a revival? I said, heavens no. Nobody can hold a revival. It's a sovereign move of God. Nobody can hold it, hold it back. When God shows up to a people that are desperate. Everybody say desperate. desperate. And I tell you where revival starts, it starts with each one of us. A heart of saying, Lord, I'm not satisfied with just status quo. Status quo Christianity, average Christianity, will not change our nation. The United States only represents 6% of the world. 6%. I used to think that, it, that God was an American, you know, with an American flag up there. If he's going to do anything with revival or awakening or outpouring, he's got to do it in this country. You know, he lets off the angels for the Super Bowl to go watch it or something. That's why he put his hole in his favorite stadium. No, I found out, no, God is moving throughout the nations, and if we don't get our act together here, we're going to be passed up. There is no guarantee that, that he owes us anything in this country for a third great awakening. 
but I believe. How many of y'all believers here? But I believe. I want to give God a good excuse, a good reason to pour out his grace, like we sang in that song. His grace on this nation. We used to be one nation under God. Do you know by city ordinance, there was a time in our country that no building could be taller than a church steeple? And now what are the tallest buildings? The bank buildings. Instead of making a difference, we're more concerned about making a dollar. We say we're one nation under God. No, no, no. We put God underneath us. In God we trust. It's on our coins. But do we really trust him? And I want to impart to you this morning because I believe God wants to do something here in this place that's going to shake. He loves picking places that everybody has looked over, that, you know, no, no professional sports teams and, and no hoopla. And Hollywood's not talking about a place. He loves underdogs to pour out his spirit and his grace where people from counties all around will come to Tifton to experience what God is doing in this place, if we believe. Right now, we're seeing in Cuba, during the worship services, because people don't have all the medical uh, uh, technology that we have and all the vitamins and doctors and everything, during worship, while they're worshiping God, extraordinary miracles are taking place. People with rotted out mouths during worship left behind little doves and fillings that are being filled in. And some of y'all look at me like, like a cow looking at a new gate, you know, you're changing and then they don't want to walk through it. It's like, I, like you, I, I had a hard time believing that too until I started seeing the reports. Fidel Castro sent a team of doctors into one of the churches that we work with there to see if these miracles were real. Because again, during worship, fillings, fillings left behind. And they reported back to him that it had to be something supernatural because checking their mouths before and then after, we found the fillings were of a substance not found anywhere on the entire island of Cuba. They didn't even know what it was made of. Fidel Castro calls it the counter-revolution right now in Cuba. It's so many young people are flooding into the churches. If you don't get there half an hour to an hour ahead of time, you can't even get a seat. In the churches that we work with, I get shoved in the corner of the stage because you have to seat people on stage. And most of them are under 30 years old. Again, he, he calls it the counter-revolution. He's more concerned about the uprising of the young adults and young people than any attack from the outside from the United States. More concerned about that. And that's what's happening. They don't dismiss the children's church. If anything, dismiss the old people's church. You can now go back to your classes because it's a sovereign move of God. Parents tell us, you know, the, the youth in their country in, in Cuba, they're rebelling. I said, rebelling? That's something bad. And I said, no, no, no. They're rebelling against the state's communism, against the state's evolutionary teaching. They're rebelling against that, and they're running to the church, and they're finding Christ. Let me tell you what, when you don't have a plan B and a plan C to fall back on, you learn how to trust the Lord. But we have here, we want to remove all the risk of Christianity, all the risk all of it, somehow remove all the risk of it and still, still say we're believers. I've never seen more unbelieving believers than ever before. But I believe those things can change. Can I hear an amen? I believe that won't be found here in Tifton. God doesn't need a more majority. He needs a righteous remnant. Just give me a handful of people that dare to believe God that he can do great things in our generation. He wants to put extra on you. Well, I just live an ordinary life. He wants to put extra on your ordinary. Well, I just, I'm just a natural person. I just, you know, nothing special. I'm just very natural. But let him put super on your natural. And it, it, th things will begin to change, begin to change. Somebody should write a book, though, 101 Ways on How to Be a Christian Without Trusting God in this country because we got life insurance we got fire insurance. We got car insurance. We got you looking at me the wrong way insurance. Again, we want to remove all the risk and still call ourselves Christian. Now, nothing wrong with all that. If you're an insurance man, I'm not against you or anything. But, but, but it's that we have put our trust so much in those things, so much in. But when you get to the place of God, if you don't come through, Lord, there is no plan B here. I'm way out here right now, Lord. Like I had the best definition I ever heard of faith is standing firmly planting two feet, being firmly planted with two feet in midair with confidence. 
It's like, Lord, I am trusting you. We're seeing in some of these nations mandatory school assemblies in public schools, full liberty to preach, give altar calls. One school, one of the largest schools in all Latin America, they liked it so much, they saw such a turnaround with thousands of their young people. Thousands, they gave us an office right there, in their, right there in their school campus. This could be your spiritual coaching office. In the nation of Peru, the first lady of the country gave our ministry a letter, said you can go into any classroom at any time, stop the classes, and give testimonies or invite people to come to your services. That's revival. Can I hear an amen? amen. The one university we went, we went, our nation, I mean, we moved to, from the United States to Peru to live there. We have two of our five children that were born overseas. People I know, we get to this point, they usually ask why y'all have so many children. Because the Bible says be fruitful and multiply. We believe there's two ways to fill the world with Christians. Amen? <laughs> you can evangelize or have a lot of children in the Lord. By hook or by crook, we're going to see the earth filled with his glory. <laughs> and uh, one, of, one of our children was born, we lived in the Amazons of Peru. His name's Frankie. Uh, oh, this is my, my wife. I didn't even introduce my wife. Everybody say, God bless Mary Lou. Oh, goodness, maybe she'll get up later and say a few words. She's born, I tell you what, she, she, she had Frankie in the Amazons of Peru, and uh, he was born to a, a number of months premature, and, and a whole, um, she could tell you that whole story about, I mean, bless her heart of the, the sacrifice that she's made over the years. But his name's Frankie, or the Spanish, they call him Franquito. We lived in a place called Iquitos, Franquito of Iquitos, where there was a whole lot of mosquitoes. But in the middle of, this, middle of this place, God began to move mightily, began to move in an amazing way. And we had from there to all throughout the Amazon region and in the Lima during a time when the Shining Path was still very active. And the university president of one of the larger universities wasn't even a Christian, but he was so desperate for something to happen on his campus. And that's what I believe we're going to get to the place of such desperation that the school principals are going to call you. Can you please come here? Please, we need something. We've tried everything else. It doesn't work. You know, people say, well, you know, you can't preach Christ in the school, separation of church and state. They're nowhere in it. The only place where that phrase is found, separation of church and state, is in the former constitution of the Soviet Union. Not found in our constitution. That phrase right there is not found in the Bill of Rights. It's not found anywhere. But somehow, we've put that in there and said that that's what the Second Amendment means. No, there's no separation of God and state. Same Congress that, 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 that established, helped establish this nation used to print Bibles and to distribute in the school, public schools. You can look it up. Same, same Congress. And, uh, and so we had this principal said, look, at, come, come, this university president say, come to our university. We will pay for all the advertisement and we'll give students extra credit if they come to the meetings. We had a packed out auditorium about this size. Students stand, every seat taken, students standing along the back, professors and everything. And that began a move of God that continues to this day that has planted churches all over Peru. Because again, a people that were desperate. When you've got car bombings every few days and you've got a nation held captive to fear with a shining path for about 12, 13, 14 years, you learn how to get desperate with God and get serious with God. How many of y'all want to know how, what it's going to take for it to happen in the United States? Because I'm a card-carrying American and I'm, my heart is broken what's happening in this nation. It is, my, you know, I just cry out to God. God, let it happen again here of what the forefathers of this nation, they sacrificed for and what they believed for and the bloodshed in this nation so we would be a godly nation. That our, Again, George Washington himself said it's impossible to govern the world without God in the Bible. John Adams said this constitution was written for a moral people and it's wholly inadequate for any other type. He goes on to say, if we don't have the ten, command, the ten laws of God in our hearts, we'll need 10,000 without. And that's what we've had. Every year we got more laws and more laws and more laws because we don't have the ten, ten within. But I believe God wants to do something. How many of y'all believe with me? He wants to be, we need, again, give him a good excuse to pour out his spirit once again on this nation. Here's what it's going to take. Start taking some notes here. 
Pull out your paper. I want to give you five secrets to a life of faith. It's going to take faith like we've never had before. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time to pray for some people. The Lord spoke to me before while I was praying for this service this morning. Somebody here with a gallbladder problem. Somebody else has had extreme torment. If you're willing to forgive who did you wrong, this extreme torment, those demonic forces will cease. They will have no open door. Another person, God said, has a learning disability, but God says no to that learning disability. You've agreed with it, that it's who you are, but God says no, that's not who you are. Don't embrace it as this is my learning ability. Somebody else on the right side, you've had some kind of injury in your lower back. And then there's somebody else that you've had a deep secret and it's entered into your mind in that deep secret and it's you entertain thoughts of divorce. It's been a strain on your, on your marriage and you've entertained those thoughts. You never imagined before you'd have those kind of thoughts. And God would say no to that. You need to cast those thoughts down. They are lying thoughts, the accuser of the brethren. You're almost ashamed that you think those thoughts. But the Lord says, keep casting those down. Those are not thoughts from him. And then there's somebody else that might be a young person today. You've been battling suicidal thoughts. That they just come to you. They come to you every now and then. And Jesus wants to set you free, totally set you free this morning. So if you're in any one of those places at the end of the service, make sure you come up to us. We want to pray for you, and I believe that you'll get victory this morning. He really, he'll turn your mess into a message. He didn't want you to be a victim. He wants you to be a victor. I mean, those setbacks in your life, he's going to turn them into setups. Now, honey, why don't you stand up? You had a couple of words, too, this morning. And again, we'll pray at the end, but why don't we just go ahead and throw those out there. You've got it. You've got what it takes. You don't need more training, more this, more that. You've got the Spirit of God. You've got the confidence. You've got the confidence in God. I could see it this morning. And that he wants, that there's many people out there that are waiting to hear from you in here. So you can't stay in here. You have to go out there. Now, I don't know what this all means, but that God wants to launch you outside of the building to reach the lost to reach the people and then um for you right here um that god wants to use you to reach the youth and just as you are no changes don't change your hat don't change your dress style don't change your mannerism don't change the way you talk that he's created you exactly fit for the ministry that he has for you and that that his anointing and his grace is upon you to reach the young people Praise God. Give the Lord a big hand clap for that. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. People say, do you preach long? Are you long-winded? Do you preach long messages? No, I have long introductions. Mark chapter 4. Let's look at five secrets to a life of faith. You know, the Bible talks a lot about faith. We're not going to look there, but 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We're not talking about faith in our faith. We talk faith in a living God that said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. All things are possible to the one who believes. What's impossible with men, he says, is possible with God, only believe. Yeah, Lord, but you don't understand my sin. Only believe. Yeah, but I was born on the other side of the track. Only believe. Yeah, but, but, but I've got setbacks in my life. I don't only believe. He's looking for believers. Believers. Those are willing to step out and take a risk and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe. Not hopeful wishing, not maybe. Let me tell you what, the promises of God come in cans, not in cans. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall, the Bible says. I can be more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ my Lord. It comes in cans. He can. And the word can't is the word can Think about that. And the word don't is the word do. It's built right, right in there. And the word impossible is the word possible. It's where are you putting your focus? 
Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this. Mark 4, 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. The Lord has another, another side of every one of us here today. You've been stuck on one side of your problems and challenges and difficulties, but he has another side to, get, to take you to. He said, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Just come, come like you are, just, as you, just like you are. He wants to take you to the other side. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Everybody say nearly swamped. I don't know what your translation says, but mine says nearly swamped. You ever felt that way? That your life, your marriage, your family, schoolwork, responsibilities, cares, I mean, you just feel swamped. It's just like coming in. You barely get your head above water and then another wave hits you. Well, that's what was happening there. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Think about that. When you have such a confidence in your relationship with your heavenly father that he really does care for you, that nothing can separate you from your love, you can take a nap in the midst of the storm. It doesn't matter how much water's coming in. It doesn't matter how, how, much attack, times you're, how many times you're being attacked. In the midst of it, you can still lie down in green pastures. You can let Jesus restore your soul. And here it says, right in the storm, when everybody else is getting ready to go crazy, Jesus is sleeping. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's always the first line of attack of the enemy when you're going through a storm. God doesn't care about you. Don't you if he cared about you, why would he allow you to go through this? Why this adversity in your life? There you have, we have it up on the screen. Master, care you not. I don't know what translation that is. Care you not that we perish? In other words, don't you care about us? Have some of you all been listening to that accusation? God doesn't really care about you. This is all imagination. Because if he really cared about me, where is that love that uh, says nothing will separate me from his love? It says, he got up, rebuked the wind instead of the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? One translation says, where is your faith? Turn to the person next to you, ask him, say, where is your faith today? You notice Jesus didn't say, where are the water buckets? <laughs> wow, I see, yeah, we better do something about this. Where's the siphoning devices to get all this water out? How many times we're looking all around at everything else to try pulling this out of our situation? Jesus said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? The Bible has a lot to talk about faith. Bible talks about a Roman centurion, and Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. It says Jesus was astonished at the man's faith. How do you get Jesus to be astonished? Two places in the Bible it says he was astonished, or marveled, one translation says. With the one, the Roman centurion, it says, here was not even a covenant person. But it, he said, look, you don't even need to come to my house. Don't even bother yourself, Jesus. You don't need to come to my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus, says, Jesus marveled at the man's faith. The other place in the Bible it says that he marveled. It says he went into his own hometown, and he sa it says he could not do many miracles there. You notice it didn't say he would not. It said he could not. Wait a minute. God can do anything. Jesus is God incarnate, God incarnate in flesh. He can do anything. But I believe Jesus held himself within his own law, and it's called the law of faith. Everybody say the law of faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're talking about the law of faith this morning. He works within certain principles, like you have the law of gravity. I might not understand the law of gravity. I might not like the law of gravity. Matter of fact, I might want to be like that song, you know, I think I can fly. You know, I want to be able to fly. I might not understand it, but yet the law of gravity always works. It always kicks in. And you have all these natural laws, the laws of thermodynamics, the law of lift. You get all these laws. And it's the same way God created the universe with natural laws, he also has spun into the universe spiritual laws. And one of them is the law of faith. 
Faith doesn't really move God. Faith simply puts you in a position to receive from God what he's already promised. And I believe Jesus held himself within that very law of faith. And in his own hometown, it says he could do no miracles there. He couldn't do many miracles there because of the people's unbelief, their unbelief. Unbelief held them in check. He wanted to do miracles there. He did a few, but because people's lack of faith in really believing, it, they were short-circuited. The very power of God was, was available to do miracles in his midst, in their midst right there because of their unbelief. So secret number one, secret number one to a life of faith, and that's what it's going to take to really believe, to really see it happen in this place and our nation turned around, is we have to be people of faith. We've got to believe more than what the news is telling us. We've got to believe more than what O'Reilly Factor is saying or CNN or what our circumstances or what our bank account is saying. We've got to be able to believe God in the midst of all that, that, Lord, you and me make a majority. You and me make a majority. You know, again, God is looking for a few people that would dare to believe him. Jesus, it says, often you would see him say this, let it be done to you as you believe. As you believe. A lot of, pe a lot of people received miracles when Jesus walked the earth, but also a lot of people didn't because they were standing on the promises while sitting in the premises. And they're saying, oh, Jesus is going to do something, you know, he'll, he'll do it. He loved those that would break through the crowds and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on church we don't gee and the bible says that the blind man got louder he got more desperate began to cry out to him jesus said let it be done to you as you believe in other words according to your expectations what are your expectations again he's looking for people that would be believers so secret number one to a life of faith is jesus did not come to make us safe but to make us brave he came to make us brave, came to make us courageous. You know, the safest place for a battleship is in harbor, but a battleship wasn't made for harbor. It was made to be out there in the rough waters. The same way, many times we're, you know, Jesus come to make me safe. No, he came to make you brave. He came. So the first secret to a life of faith is I want to be brave. Jesus, you came to make me brave. You came to not pull me out of my problems, but to get me through them to the other side. See, many times we have the kind of faith that we, you know, we're telling God about how big our mountain is instead of telling our mountain how big our God is. Did y'all catch that? And we might know the kind of faith eventually that moves the mountain, but how about the kind of faith that has to scale the mountain to get to the other side? Maybe we have the kind of faith that, that silences the storm. Peace be still like we read here. But how about a kind of faith that will take you through the storm to get to the other side? In other words, these disciples could have had, could have had that kind of faith. Could have, would have, should have. Don't wake him up. Let him sleep. He's taking a nap. Don't wake Jesus up. They could have just continued to believe God. Jesus said, we're going to get to the other side, and they would have got to the other side through their faith. So, so again, Jesus didn't come to make us safe, but to make us brave. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twelve. It says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The translation is brave men are pressing into it. There's a pressing in that must take, take place. I remember years ago, one of my trips to Sierra Leone, West Africa, a 90% Muslim nation. Started going in one month after the ceasefire. Have you ever seen the movie Blood Diamond? It was actually worse than the movie depicted. And the Lord said, go in. I believe God has called us as Christians to chase the storms, not run from the storms. You ever seen those, those uh, documentaries of people that chase those hurricanes and all that? I mean, those folk are crazy. I'm supposed to be going the other way. But in the spirit, we're supposed to be chasing the storms, finding out where there's a need and fill it. I believe every Christian is called to be a missionary. Every non-Christian is your mission field. To be a missionary, you don't need to go across the sea. You could try going across the street. That's where it starts. But this time God said, go. Some people say, well, I don't have a word to go. Let me tell you what, two-thirds of the name of God is go. You don't need a word to go. You need a word to stay. Because he already said, go into all the world and make disciples. Matter of fact, the first three letters of Satan's name is what? 
It sat. And many times we're sitting. We just sat when God wanted to use us mightily to do, do something. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, Matthew 28. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So if all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto Jesus, how much does that leave for the devil? It's not, not, it's not trigonometry, it's simple math. How much does that leave for the devil? Again, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go, therefore, and make disciples. How much does that leave for the devil? Nothing. Then why is he winning? Why are there more people this morning hungover than hanging on to the promises of God? Why are more people last night at Skeely D's bar and the dew drop in than there are in church this morning? Why is that? I believe because the Christians have not taken their dominion, really believing that Jesus has won the victory. We believe it was a partial victory. It's like, why shine brass on the sinking ship? Like one man told me one time, I'm glad everything's getting worse in the world. That means Jesus is coming back sooner. Why move around the furniture if the house is on fire? That's the mindset of many Christians. The late Dr. Francis Schaeffer said, we're not losing this war because of humanism or communism or terrorism. He said, we're losing it because of default. The Christians have failed to step up to the plate. And really believe that Jesus gave us the authority in him. It's like, well, you know, doesn't the Bible say something about, you know, Satan is the God of this age? Let me tell you what, he's the God of this age of those who let him be the God of this age. Because Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. I give you authority now. Go and make, make disciples. So who owns that high school? That high school doesn't belong to Satan. It belongs to Jesus. My Bible says very clearly, by him all things are created, both in heavens and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules or authority, all things are created by him and for him, and in him all things are held together. So the devil doesn't have any authority. He's illegally captivating that high school or your city or your neighborhood or our nation. But many Christians just step back and we believe, well, I guess all this can happen. Instead of doing what Jesus said, I'm looking for people of faith. Jesus said, will I find faith when I return? He didn't say whether we know what the tenth toenail of the big beast represents. That's right. A lot of people are just waiting to fly out of here. They're doing the rapture drills. When Jesus said, occupy till I come. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's like I read in the Tampa Tribune. That's my hometown. I was re reading it some years ago. And they're talking about, the, about these houses that are on the beach that are winter homes for people up north that crowd up our cities and just come down and don't pay very many taxes, but they, they're, they're there for a couple of months out of the year when it's snowing up there, and, and then they go back up, up north. And the houses are vacant. And the article talked about how people will break into the houses not to steal. They break into the houses to use them while the owners are gone. They get the electricity utilities turned on. And they're in the house more months of the year than the owners to the point that the neighbors think that they're the owners. And they take on the role. They're putting, putting on the bathrobe and, hey, Joe, how you doing? And waving the neighbors and swimming in their, in their swimming pool. And until when? Until when? Until the owners come with the papers and say, get out of here. And they drive them out. The same way the devil will stay in your city as long as you let him stay here. But he is a squatter. He thinks he has squatter's rights. If in doubt, cast him out. And I believe that it will take our authority in Christ and begin to see things in a different light, in a different way. He doesn't have any right over my neighborhood. He doesn't have any right over my family. He doesn't have any right over my marriage. Matter of fact, he'll hang around your mind as long as you let him hang around your mind. But legally, it's been stripped away from him. Completely stripped away. So I was there in Sierra Leone, and I'm sitting on this ferry boat because to get from the airport to the mainland, you got to catch this ferry boat with almost about 1,000 people on it. So I'm on this boat with, with my host, pastor host from Sierra Leone, and, and they had this Muslim imam with a... PA system, portable PA system, he's just, crit I mean, critically yelling at the Muslims and telling them, you know, you're not paying your money and you're not taking your, 
you know, doing your homage to Mecca and, 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 and honoring Muhammad, and he's just going at it. I mean, these people, I mean, people are packed on this ferry boat. I mean, they're just, there's about 800 to 1,000 people on there. Everybody's just kind of squatting down, and everybody's sitting there, and he, he's just condemning them for not praying five times a day and just going at it. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to say something. I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. It's kind of, you ever had that where your hope is not the Holy Spirit? Because <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit speaking to me, like on this side, and the devil starts speaking to me on this side. They're going to throw you overboard. <laughs> You're going to be on CNN International News. You've heard those stories that they, what they do, <laughs> do to people like you, start talking about Jesus in a crowd like this. Just be quiet, you know, get to your location, don't bother anyone. Just, but I knew I had to say something. I knew I did, so I told the pastor, I said, look, tell, tell this guy. And this, and this imam, the Muslim cleric, he had two bodyguards next to him, big guys. And I thought, wow, Lord, is this really you? You know, you get those butterflies, you get that. Let me tell you what, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to pull you through the fear and get you to the other side. And that, you know, the opposite of faith is not unbelief. The fruit is in the root. The root is fear. Fear of failure, fear of the unknown, fear of what people say, fear of lack, fear of I mean, all, all kinds of fears, like insecurities. What will people say? What will they think? That's the very root. That's the opposite of what faith is. So I told the pastor, I said, look, just off, tell them that. I, I just want to say a few words. Don't tell them what those words <laughs> And I offer them, I'll pay them 5,000 leones, which to them is a lot of money. To us, it was only about maybe 10, 15 bucks. But that's about a month's wage there. So he went up and tapped the guy on the shoulder, told the bodyguards, and they told him, and all of a sudden they got, oh, we have an American here, you know, because very few Americans were visiting, any foreigners visiting during that time. And, uh, yeah, come, he wants us to give us a greeting here in Sierra Leone. And, da, 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 da. and I came and grabbed that microphone, and the Spirit of God just took over me. I'll tell you what, when you get out on the end of the limb, that's when God shows up, <laughs> willing to take a risk. My granddaddy used to love having all kinds of tropical trees in his backyard in, in, uh, in Tampa, Florida. He had mango and papaya. And, uh, but his favorite was avocado. How many of y'all love avocado? You know anything about avocado tree, you got to go up and get the avocado. They, they grow, that tree will grow about, about three, four stories high. You got to go up and get them. You can't wait for them to come down. If you wait for them to come down, you have guacamole already on the ground. And I don't know why, I, me and my, my brothers, they always seem like they sent me up in the tree to go get the avocados, and, and they're standing there like this, I don't know, to catch me if I f would fall or to catch the avocado. But it always seemed like the biggest, juiciest avocados were always at the end of the limb, where it was shaky, where it was difficult. No, honey, I don't think I can. Yes, you can do it, you can do it. Write this down. If you want to see new horizons in life, you've got to lose sight of the shore. Got to be willing to let go of the convenient to grab hold of the promises. And I began to tell those Sierra Leoneans, I said, I can't relate to a God that's far off somewhere in heaven, that can't identify with my suffering, that can't identify with my problems and my challenges, that doesn't understand what I go through. I cannot identify with that kind of a God that's never been through pain and torment. I said, but I can identify with a God who came to this earth and went through everything that we go through yet without sin. I said, I can relate to a God that doesn't tell me necessarily to die for him, but he died for me. I can relate to that kind of God. And all the whole time I'm doing, the devil telling me, they're going to stab you in the back right now. They got knives. They're going to stab you in the back. And I just continued. And I went through the whole description of what our God did for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. And I went through the description of hell, him being stretched out and the whippings on his back. And he, he took on every, everything we go through in this life. He was crushed and wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace fell upon him. And by his stripes, we've been healed. And these people began to pray and turn their life over to Christ. And I prayed for healing. And the Spirit of God came in that place in a powerful way. When it was over, I turned around, and that amen held on his hand. 
He said, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know Esau. Can you tell me more about him? And I introduced him to the pastor, and he began to follow him up. So again, secret number one of being of a life of faith is that Jesus did not come to make us safe, but make us brave. you got to choose not to be safe, but brave. you got to go for the more demanding climbs in life. I believe indifference is the worst hatred toward yourself and towards others. Here's what one of my favorite presidents of all time, President Roosevelt, he said this. He said, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena who stands valiantly, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So this place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. John Henry Newman said, Fear not that your life will come to an end, but that it will never have a beginning. The Roman historian Tacitus wrote, the desire for safety stands against every great and noble enterprise. Secret number two, secret number two to a life of faith is faith is the economy of heaven, the currency of how heaven works. I was in Cuba about a month and a half ago, came back and found that I still have some Cuban pesos in my pocket. And in Miami where we're at, which is the second most unchurched city in America. It's been the second most unchurched city in America. I hope that's changed since we've been there. We're seeing a real God doing some tremendous things there. But, but a lot of Cuban restaurants everywhere in Miami. Can you imagine me walking into a Cuban restaurant and say, can I speak to the owner? And the owner comes out and says, are you Cuban? I say, yeah, I'm Cuban. I was born in Cuba, came here in the 1960s. Yeah, I'm Cuban. Is this a Cuban restaurant? Of course it's a Cuban restaurant. Yeah. Do you have Cuban food? Oh, we have tremendous Cuban food. We have picadillo, ropa vieja, we have platanos, black beans and rice. Yeah, we got great Cuban food. Okay, wonderful. Here, and I pull out my pocket Cuban pay. I want to pay today my bill with Cuban pesos. What's that guy going to tell me? He's going to say, you're crazy. If you're going to be in my restaurant, you got to use the right currency. If you give me the United States, you got to use the right currency. If you want to do business in heaven, you got to use the right currency as well, which is faith. Faith is, again, the faith is the economy of heaven. It's the currency of how heaven works. You show me the size of your faith, and I'll show you the size of your God. There are many serving little G. I serve big God. Big God that said all things are possible. All things are possible to the one who believes. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 23, the Lord says this. He's speaking to Moses. He says, is the Lord's power limited? What's the answer to that? No. Moses was saying, how are you going to feed all these folk? I mean, there's not enough fish in the whole sea here to feed them. How are you going to feed them all? Maybe your circumstance right now seems so big. How is God going to be able to do this? And the Lord said, is my power limited? God's power is not limited, but we can limit it. Well, you could save my brother, but you don't know about my husband. Well, you could, you know, you, you could save my, my son, but you don't know about my daddy and his, his life and da-da-da. We can't have a hard time getting beyond the limitations we have put on the power of God and what he can do and what he can't do. Some years ago, I heard about this big grizzly bear. True story, big grizzly bear. It was held in a cage in London, England. Big, beautiful bear. Held in a cage. It was so small that you can only take three paces to the right, three paces to the left all day long. And these animal rights groups, you know, the tree huggers save the whales, but they, yet they believe in abortion. That's a whole nother thing, kill the baby. They were so irate about this, about that this, this big, beautiful bear was held in this small cage, that they raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a facility about as big as this right here, this room here. And it came to the time for the ceremony, for the ribbon-cutting ceremony. The mayor was there. The reporters were there. Everybody was there to cheer on this new facility, to dedicate the new facility. And to their shock and amazement, that bear was still taking three paces to the left and three paces to the right. You know why? Because he had programmed his mind, I can only go this far and I can't go any further. How about you? What, 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 what's, what's programmed in, in your thinking? Just write these scriptures down. You can look at them later. Look at them later. 
Matthew 9, 29, Jesus said, be it done to you according to your faith. Mark 5, 36, Jesus says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Romans 4, 5, it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, credited to him. Well, if God loves me, he'll just kind of throw down a blessing on my life. He does that. He is merciful. But you get to a place in your walk with God that he expects you to begin to walk by faith, not by sight. John 20, 29 says, Blessed are those, blessed are they who do not see, yet, yet believe. Yet believe. Number three, secret number three. Secret number three. And if you didn't get that number two, again, the, mo the more correct currency you have, the more your ability or purchasing power you have in heaven. Not that you're buying it, but if you're talking about faith being trust, the more you can trust God, because the Bible clearly says in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. How many of y'all want to please God? Raise your hand. Now raise your other hand. It looks like twice as many people in here this morning. It doesn't say without reading your Bible it's impossible to please God, though it's important to read your Bible. Faith comes by hearing. It doesn't say without tithing offering. Yeah, you need to tithe and offer. It doesn't, doesn't say without showing up at church, though that's the good, good first step. But it does say without faith it's impossible to please God. As we walk by faith, not by sight, it's pleasing that we're trusting God more and more and more. Secret number three, God always has something better before you than what you left behind. God always has something better before you than what you've left behind. You know, if you live in the past, you'll die in the past. It's a secret to faith. That he always has something better before. Bible says in Psalm 66, 12, we went through fire and water, yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. Matter of fact, many times the depth of your past can be an indicator of the height of your future. The farther that arrow is pulled back, if you're you know, deer hunting, the farther that arrow is pulled back, what happens? The further it's going to shoot. So maybe you say, man, I, I've been held back, and things have happened in my life, and I've had setback after setback. But yet that could be a good indicator to what God has ahead for you in your future. You know, Sylvester Stallone's an interesting character because he had a rough time as a child. He was taunted in school, in and out of foster homes. He didn't have it much better as an adult. Not able to earn a steady income and having to sell his dog for $25 to help him turn on his electricity, he was faced with many obstacles. It was only two weeks after selling his dog that he wrote the Rocky script in nearly 20 hours straight. An inspiration came to him and began to write. He peddled the script relentlessly, finally being rejected over 1,500 times. Nobody wanted that. Nobody wanted to do a movie about Rocky. <laughs> but Stallone then eventually, after 1,500 attempts, was given a nod by United Artists for $125,000, but only if Stallone would not star in the movie. Sylvester Stallone refused it. 125 grand. He was subsequently offered 250,000 and 325,000. He would not accept it unless he starred in the movie. Finally, they compromised and they gave in. They would allow him to play the role of Rocky, but he would only pay, they would only pay him $35,000 $35, and a percentage of the profits as a concession. He accepted it. Incidentally, Stallone's first purchase with his windfall of $35,000 was buying his dog back for a whopping $15,000. What a scoundrel. You're not going to sell it back. But 15000 you only paid 25 bucks for it. Rocky cost about a million dollars to make, but it grossed over $200 million, and it's still climbing. His sequels grossed over a billion dollars. What's the point? Never quit. Everybody say, never quit. Never quit. Turn to the person next to you and say, never quit. never quit. So God always has something better before you than what's left behind. You ever heard of the cleaning thing Formula 409, you know why they call it for? Because the guy seemed like he failed 408 times. It's like Thomas Edison, when the reporter asked him, they, they asked him this, 
They, they said, when asked if he really failed over 2,000 times before discovering the light bulb, he said, no, I simply found 1,999 ways how not to do it. Not to do it. And in closing, I've got two more quickly. Secret number four. But let me give you a scripture for, for number three. Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not grow weary or lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we don't give up. Number four. You don't feel your way to God, you faith your way to God. Hebrews 10, 38, it says, The just shall live by faith. What water is to a fish and oxygen is to a human being, so faith is to a believer. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. Many times people say, I'm not, I don't feel led, or I don't sense the grace. But really, that's become a convenient 21st century excuse for not walking by faith, not trusting God. You know the richest place in the world is not South Africa with its mineral deposits and its jewels and diamonds and everything. It's not the Middle East with its multi-billion dollar petroleum industry. It's not even Silicon Valley, California, with all its great technology that comes out of there. Your iPhones and iPads and everything else coming out of there. I believe the richest place in the world is your local cemetery. Why do I say that? Because people that had great ideas but never was willing to step out in faith and see them carried out. Books that were supposed to be written to change the way that people think in our country, but they never wrote the books. Businesses that were going to start to be able to pour millions of dollars into the mission field and plant churches all over the world but they never began. Individuals that were going to reach out to their high school or begin to evangelize or talk to their neighbors or start a Bible study or, or do discipleship and, and, and get involved more, but never stepped out because they didn't want to take the risk. And they all went to the grave with all the ideas from a great creative God, all those thoughts, all those plans, and they're still there. And that's why I call the grave, the richest cemetery, the richest place in the world. Do you know that faith and fear both have the same root definition? Because both are believing or imagining something will happen, though they can't see it or have any evidence, both of them. And in closing, number five, number five, the fifth secret to a life of faith is God will always call you to an unfair fight or challenge. God will always call you to an unfair fight or challenge where it's impossible to win alone. It's impossible. God has to come through for you, but you're stepping out. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 9, it says, For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. The word impossible is not found in the vocabulary of a Jesus revolutionary. How many Jesus revolutionaries do I have here this morning? The word impossible is not found. shouldn't be found in your vocabulary at all. I remember we started going into Nicaragua one month after their, their ceasefire of change of government back in the Contras during the time of Colonel North and the Contras and everything. We go in right when there's these Kairos moments where it seems to be dangerous. That's when God calls us in. And we went in one month after the change, change of government. And it was supposed to be into a democratic government from the Sandinistas that were in control. And we're on our way in a taxi to the palace to meet the president, the new, new president. Two Sandinista soldiers jumped out and blocked the taxi. They said, nobody's seeing the president today. And we thought, man, wasn't there a change of government here or something? And they said, no, we're kind of chuckling. You know, we're still really in charge. So I told the pastor, I said, look, let's go over to the university campus. Because that's why we plant churches on university campuses around the world. Because the future leaders of the world are right now studying on the campuses. The 1% that graduates from universities will control the 99% in many places in the world that don't, never study on campuses. They become the future lawmakers, become the future politicians, the future doctors, the future leaders of the world, future moms and dads and, and everybody. So I said, man, let's get over to this university campus, future judges, whatever. That, that's where they're at. The drug industry is so organized. We went to the University of, of the Amazons. There's actually a university because the drug industry in Latin America, they re recruit those future leaders to run their drug industry. 
So this pastor in Nicaragua said, listen, that's a communist campus. They're not going to let us go there. And I said, well, look, let, let, you know, let, let's, just, let's just see. Let's just go. And he started making all kinds of excuses and everything else. He said, man, the door's not open. You know, sometimes when the door's not open, you got to kick it down. Because, again, Jesus already said to go. And he tried making some phone calls. He said, they don't want us. So we're just going there. So we go there, and we're walking down the hallway, and there are banners of all these communist leaders everywhere. And they're just... And I went, we went to talk to the programming director, and he had a painting of Sandino behind him, began to tell him what we want to do, and he began to laugh at us. But right in the middle of that meeting, Holy Spirit showed up. Never put beyond what the Holy Spirit can do in your life or in your situation. And he said, I tell you what. He said, I don't know if they're going to be interested in this Jesus guy. He said, but go ahead, I'll let you have your meeting. Almost like he, he wanted to see us fail. Throw us to the lions, so to say. He, he said, I'll let you have your meeting, but I want you to know it's the first time in the history of this uni communist university we've ever allowed any religious meeting at all. Go, I'll give you half an hour to advertise. Well, Holy Spirit doesn't need more than half an hour. We went through the hallways with a bullhorn, began to announce the meeting, and up and down the hallways, and about a half an hour, 45 minutes later, 150 communistic professors and students showed up. They're yelling at us, who allowed you on this campus? Yankee, go home. They always pick on the Yankees, never the Red Sox or the Angels or Braves. It's always the Yankees. I didn't want to argue with them. We began the meeting. The Holy Spirit was there. The presence of God came. I was out on the end of the limb. God, you have to come through, Lord. You've got to do something here, Lord. The presence of God came. And I began to challenge those professors and students. I said, you, you, I said, you've tried changing your nation through wars, through political upheaval. What you have here is not a social problem. It's not an educational problem. It's not a financial problem. It's not a resource problem. It's a heart problem. If you want to change your nation, you've got to change the people. If you want to change the people, you have to change their hearts. And the only one that can change their hearts is the revolutionary of all revolutionaries, the original revolutionary, Jesus Christ. And he will revolutionize your nation, your university, and you from the inside out. And those students took their cards, began to give us their information. They wanted a follow-up. The same professors that argued with us at the beginning invited us to come back on their campus and talk about this original revolutionary Jesus Christ at a future date. This is what he wants to do, I believe, our God wants to do right here in this nation. Bow your heads. Again, God will always call you to an unfair fight or challenge where it's going to take Stepping out, trusting God. David said, is there not a cause? Kublai Khan asked Marco Polo, what's present-day Mongolia, many, many centuries ago in the 1200s. He said, could you please send over Christian missionaries? We failed to respond at that time. Only six showed up, but the Buddhists send in thousands. Now it's one of the hardest nations in the world to reach. After World War II, General MacArthur was asked by the Japanese emperor. The Japanese emperor felt that their God had failed them. And they wanted to know the God of the United States. He said, could you send us 10,000 missionaries? But because of the animosity towards the Japanese, we failed during that time. And now it's one of the most atheistic nations in the world. There's opportunities that are right in front of us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer that stood up to Hitler and refused to back down as a, as a strong Christian. He said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And we have an opportunity in this nation beginning right here to really impact our world for Christ. I close with this. I want to read you this from a terrorist publication. It says this, the gospel is a much more powerful tool for the change of a society than our message. But it is we who ultimately win. We are but a handful while you people are numbered by the millions. Nevertheless, it is we who will ultimately beat you. If you remember the story of Gideon and his 300 men, you'll understand why I'm right. How can anyone believe in the supreme value of your message if you don't live it? if you don't spread it, if you sacrifice very little time or money for it. Yes, it is we who will ultimately win, for we are ready to sacrifice everything for what we believe in, but you people are afraid to soil your hands. 
Right now, ISIS, on a monthly basis, their income is $80 million. They grossed in 2015, their operating budget for 2015 through donations and, and however they, else they got it, was over $2 billion. Father, we pray and we join together, Lord, that this, from this very place, Lord, beginning this morning, you would begin a, 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 a revival, a revolution, a spiritual revolution in all of our lives. Lord, we're not satisfied with status quo. We don't want to be the same. Go ahead and stand where you're at and just begin. Just take a few moments. I know, I know we've gone a little bit longer, but just take a few moments and say, Lord, use me. Lord, send me. Lord, here I am. Lord, am I to be a goer or am I to be a sender? I help send others, whatever it takes. Lord, my time, treasure, and talent is not my own, Lord. It's all yours. Here I am, Lord. Here I want to be useful. I want to not just give into the offering plate. I want to step into the offering basket with my life. Jesus, you are Lord. What you feed me, I'll swallow. Where you lead me, I'll follow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we commit our lives afresh to you this morning. Take us, Lord, each one of us. Let us know what our assignment is. We don't want to sit the bench. Put us in the game, Lord. Lord, show us what our assignment is, where we're to run to, how we can be useful in your kingdom. Lord, may these be days that we would see this kind of awakening, this kind of revival in the United States, that once again we will become one nation under God, beginning with our lives here. Put a desperateness and a hunger and a thirsting, Lord. Lord, we refuse to give up this land to the enemy. We refuse to succumb to ISIS or anybody else, Lord. We say, Lord, you would do a mighty work. Jesus is Lord. We will not bow our knee to compromise. We will not back off. We will run to the giants and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen if you believe it. Give the Lord a big shout. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to do this. I want to give Franco the opportunity to pray over uh, the ones and the words that they had. So what we're going to do, just because of time's sake, I'm going to ask you to bow your head, and we're going to we're going to pray, and then I'm going to we're going to open it up. Franco and his wife will be up here. We'll be up here to pray for you and minister to you. I. Uh, couple of things I was thinking about as he was as he was talking as he was ministering is um, faith is taking a step and knowing when you take that step there's no way back but still taking that step and I think for some of us that's that's been a challenge we live in a very comfortable society we don't have the pressures and the, the threats and the, we don't have to uh, believe God we can go get some medication or we can go get a loan or we can use a credit card or we can do it but when you reach that place in your life where you got to there is no other option that's when God comes through and and so I was uh thinking about how much courage that does take and I think that was one of your first one of your first and second points was cur about courage and I remember John Wayne said courage is what courage is is uh being fearful but saddling up anyway that's what the definition of courage is. And so, Father, we just thank you this morning for all that you've done in our lives through this message. Lord, help us to think beyond ourselves, even right now in the midst of our discomfort, in the right now in the midst of us being hungry and wanting to leave and, and go visit and go fellowship. Lord, in that discomfort, help us to see that there's a bigger picture. There's more at risk. There's more things that need to be done. Let us leave today with a kingdom mindset. Let us leave today with those steps of faith where we begin to step out on there. We want to live at life on the edge of that limb because that's where the biggest fruit and the sweetest fruit and the things that you've called us to do. Out of all those men in the Bible, only one stepped out of the boat. Let us be those ones. Let us be that one that steps out. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for 
for Franco and his wife and the ministry and everything that they're doing. Just stretch your hands forth toward them. Lord, we thank you for everything that they're doing, for what you've, what you've equipped them, what you've called them to do. Lord, we release our faith with them, with the anointing, to go and to, to continue to do what you've called them to do, to go into the universities to the future leaders and raise up a generation that will usher in the kingdom message in a greater way, that will bring in the resources to allow the kingdom of God to be spread throughout the other ends of the earth like never before. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody said? Amen, amen. Well, listen, you know, he raises his support. He, he doesn't, he, he is a missionary into the mission field of the college students and, and the universities. So if you want to give, if you want to be a blessing, if you want to support, he's got a table back there with some information, as well as we want to be a blessing to him for coming and delivering to us the Word of God. And so the box back there in the back, we're going to designate to his ministry, so to the ministry that God's called him. So you guys want to give, you can just make your checks payable to New Covenant, but just put on their guest speaker, Franco, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get it to him. Amen? Amen, amen. Well, you guys come on up. If you want to be ministered to, if you want to come up, if you felt like those things that they were calling out at the beginning were you, y'all come on up. Otherwise, we dismiss you. Hang on. Yes, ma'am. I'm really sorry to hold you up, but I just feel so compelled to say this little testimony um, to help maybe clarify something that he said. The last year and a half, I had two total hip replacements because I had bone on bone and one collapse on the inside. And so I went through the, the surgery four months from each other, and the, the rehab was excruciating pain, unbelievable, that I had to keep going through, keep going through. I didn't think I was going to make it. And the doctor was so encouraging, and his words, he kept saying, you can do this, you can do this. And so I would take his words, I can do this, I can do this. And it's like I got hold of a little quote that says, the only way out is through. And sometimes we try to get out of our circumstances, you know, it's like, oh, if I can, you, you work so hard at figuring out how you can get around the hard things, you know. And it's like faith, through faith and patience, you inherit the promises, so God wants to, like you said, make you brave to go through the circumstances. So this doctor's words literally um, helped me get through this, the whole thing. And what God was showing me through it, in the Bible it says, if you believe in the trusted word of a friend, the words of God are greater. So his promises, so if you're trying to figure out how do I even start everything that he just said, it's in trusting the, word, the promises of God over your feelings and over your circumstances. Because what, what I went through, there was no feelings, and the circumstances were horrible. And I had to keep trusting his words. He says, I'm going to make it through. He says, I'm going to walk again. He says, the pain one day will go away. You know, and as I didn't see it for a long time, that it, it all happened. It all came true because I never quit. I felt like quitting. I wanted to quit. But the same thing of all your circumstances, what you're going through, you want to quit. You want to go around it. Who wants to go through something hard? You know, but if you can just remember the only way out is through, and God's the only one that can take you through, and his word is the, um, the mule, the donkey that will get you your ride through, so to speak. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are dismissed. Be blessed. Have a good week. We'll see you Wednesday.